Hello everyone, I'm Mark, the chief writer here at Maltopia, and I just wanted to remind you the sleep-wake cycle is but one of a series of interconnected horror podcasts within the wide and weird world of Maltopia. For Easter eggs, crossover events, and additional lore, please check out our other series, The Shepherd of Wolves, Red Mother, Grimland, and The Damnation Machine. And be sure to check out our free content on our Patreon page for additional lore and stories. For even more Maltopia content, consider becoming a patron. Starting for as little as $2 a month, benefits range from additional art, update videos, early episode access, our mini-podcast series, October's Children, both written and full audio pieces, such as The Lost Library, Tales of Maltopia, and The Weird Book. You can also gain access to our found footage show, The Weird Tape Series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully-produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Rusty Quill Presents.
Hello, malcontents, and welcome to the next episode of Sleep Talking, where we are discussing sleep-wake cycle, horror, writing, anything that comes to mind. Um, we're going to have probably two more episodes after this before getting into uh, season two of the sleep-wake cycle, and that'll be it's looking like around the third week of May. And today we wanted to kind of get into the origins of everybody's experience with horror and kind of how that led them into um, obviously the Malatopia podcast, but also Kelly with voice acting and just kind of uh, their major influences, uh, their favorite movies, books, all of that stuff, and just kind of geek out for a little bit and talk about whatever comes up. So I do know that um, Kelly and Mark both very much would like to discuss the Blair Witch Project and uh, Silent Hill. And bringing those topics up is like dropping a chunk of meat into piranha infested (laughs) waters. So I am just going to drop it in there and back away. Uh, let's see who, who do you, do you want to start off the, the dissection of the movie or. Oh God. Well, I just watched it last night. Right. So. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, I'm just going to start off by saying, and this is my geek out moment that I hands down Blair, Witch project is the most brilliant film ever made. You can fight me over this. I'm, I'm, I'm take it to my death. Um, I, I think it's just a spectacular piece of just low budget let's just get out there and make it happen see what happens see what sticks and it was one of the best films ever made so um yeah so for those of you who are not familiar with Blair Witch where have you been everybody (laughs) but uh (laughs) seriously um and not the remakes we're talking about the original here because the remakes are a whole other level of sad that we will talk about some other day maybe but um but the basic premise is three filmmakers um decide to head off to Burkittsville, Maryland, and to go out into the woods to seek out the legend of the Blair Witch. Um, Burkittsville was previously called Blair. And so they, it's kind of a, um, it's a, it's documentary style. It's, it's handheld cameras. It's pretty raw footage. Um, looks like something I would probably try to make. Um, but they, uh, they head down into the woods and uh, do a little bit of investigative reporting. And while they're out there, seeking some answers and finding some of these sites some crazy stuff goes down and they disappear and a year later their footage has been found and this is what we're watching during the film so yeah that that synopsis would have taken me an hour (laughs) i'm glad you decided to tackle it yeah you're welcome (laughs) i i would have stumbled over and they were like from and yeah and you know what the interesting thing is is they you know and then i just Constantly. They had Cheetos and Cheetos were great. And <laughs> another part of the movie that I that I got into, like, what are they eating? And they were smoking. And and I not that I'm promoting smoking at all, because you know, this is not we don't want to do that. But I will say this at the time I watched it, I was I was a smoker and I liked uh every time they would smoke, I'd I'd get the urge and it just gave me some time to walk outside and just ponder the moment as to what was uh, going on in the movie. Very nice. Ah, that's a nice little little way to get that cig in <laughs> exactly gotta have a justification i always i always said a cigarette is just like a, a, a an instant moment wherever you want to have it you, <laughs> normally you wouldn't stand next to like a random tree you would just look stupid for that but if you had a cigarette in your hand 
You could literally be anywhere and be justified. Like you could just be standing out in the middle of a field. Oh, that guy's got a cigarette in his hand. That's fine. You can stand out in the middle of a field. What's wrong with that? Just enjoying a cigarette. But yeah, the movie was, um, you know, like I said uh, before, I thought Heather was really a strong, extremely strong character. And she was very ingrediential into the construction of Romy because she's thrown into you know, what could be easily construed as a schizophrenic nightmare? You know, reality is no longer solid. You walk in one direction, you end up in the exact same place that you end up before. That which is part of the movie. They 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 try to get out of these woods and they yeah, just spo- can't spoiler do Spoiler alerts, everybody. Oh, <laughs> so, oh yeah, spoiler yeah, alerts. We're going we're gonna to talk <laughs> gonna about like it. the nitty gritty, like the whole thing. Yeah. But yeah, they, they try, once they realize that they're being stalked by some kind of a supernatural creature, which they presume to be the witch, they just, you know, like anybody else would, they try to get out. And of course they can't, they, you know, space has been looped apparently. And they just keep ending up at the same fallen tree that they've crossed over the stream on like a hundred times, not a hundred times, but a couple of times. Yep. And, and so this kind of frames their situation. They, they are stuck. They cannot go anywhere. And there is apparently a, a very, very dangerous creature out there with them which at that point hasn't done anything to them. They're, they're fine. They're just not being allowed to go anywhere. And there's been a couple of extremely frightening scenarios that have been introduced to them. But the reason I, I liked it and the reason why it was such a big part of my thought process going into sleep wake cycle, which, you know, sensibly you would probably think, yeah, they're two different types of scenarios. But I think anytime the mind is trapped in a situation that doesn't lend itself to a physical solution. You know, that's, that's kind of what you get into with the kind of mental disorders that she has. You're in a world that makes no sense. Mm -hmm. You cannot navigate it. And there is no physical mechanism through which you can kind of get yourself out of it. And so all you're left with are the tools your mind provides you. And that examination gets you to, like I said before, the, 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 the person who is most, capable of dealing with things throughout the movie, which is Heather, who is, I think, universally reviled by most uh, 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 Blair Witch Project moviegoers, which I think is completely inappropriate. Yeah. Side side note on that. She's actually, she changed her name. Um, really? Uh, if, you, if you look, yeah, I had, I had it up. I was doing all this research because I'm, I'm a nerd. And uh, <laughs> yeah, she, she got so much hate for it that she actually um, vowed to never act again. And I think she did maybe one thing, one other small bit somewhere else, but she sort of changed her name a little bit. So it's not as easily recognizable because oh. she gets, it was such a bad experience for her, which is horrifying. Yeah. She's, Watching it again last night, her performance is mind-blowingly good. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's such it's a disappointment. It's a shame. It always surprises me because like I always pictured I like Mark, I thought she was the one who held it together. Now the only thing she's guilty of, which I give her a pass on because that's exactly what I would fucking do. First of all, I'd be excited as shit if I got lost in the woods like that. And I was like, this is cool as shit. <laughs> But like she just keeps like wanting to document it, and like I know everybody hates her for that. Like just fucking yeah. give it up already. But like that's what I would do. Well, well fuck it, we're stuck out here. I might as well document the shit. Like I might as well, yeah. Like do something. If we do get out of here, we at least have that. But I don't know. Everybody... And the other two are just complete wusses. Like they don't want to know anything about what's going on. They don't want to explore <clears throat> it. They don't even want to go outside. The one guy is like. You know, he gets caught looking like a total wuss on camera when she's like, why didn't you come outside? And he's like, well, I didn't need to go outside. She's like, you were totally scared. You didn't want to go outside. Well, I don't want to go outside. Yeah. And it's like, 
she's the only the same one guy who just loses his shit yeah yeah, yeah he's my, he's my yeah, favorite she he's he, the only he, one yeah 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 the, the guys were i mean yeah she she was she's, the strongest character she kept she's well, mike together was, mike was hilarious his, his whole uh kicks the map and i kicked the fucking thing i right kicked that back very yeah and when he's when he's he just he has these moments when I, I, there's just one part. There's nothing like flourished about it at all. They're just kind of talking. Heather and uh, what's his name? I can't think of the other guy's name. The tall, whispery, wispy guy. Josh. Josh. They're they're finally Josh. kind yeah. of trying to figure things out, and then Mike just goes off in the background. He's like, "Fuck, fuck!" And it's just like this Screaming. really weird, like chirpy blurt. And it's like he just kind of displays how absolutely literally in the weeds and woods he is with all of us he has no idea what's going on but you know it's 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 that kind of situation that really for me frames my favorite kind of horror i love it when something is situated outside and i like it when they use the outside not just as a prop but as like a character like it's literally a living breathing part of of the movie and the setting draws you in as opposed to just functioning as kind of like a pretty background or something for for whatever to happen in and it was that element i think that really really consecrated it as a kind of holy movie for me like one of the very best out there and one of the ones i would probably watch more times than anyone would probably ever watch a movie and um yeah i think it it appeals it appeals to I've, i've noticed there's like two sets of well i'm sure there's more than two sets but there's like two teams of horror fans like there's the horror fans that like subtle horror which is the camp i fall into and i think blair witch project falls into that camp and then there are people who hated it they're like nothing fucking happened there's no fucking monsters there's nothing which i I don't like i I, like they have their place with me i like what like Pumpkinhead and things like that i love those movies but like Mm -hmm. i liked blair witch because it was subtle it wasn't anything that was like it wasn't up in your face. There wasn't gore. There wasn't anything like that, which I'm, and you know, I'm fine with gore. It doesn't offend me or anything. I just don't find it scary. So I, it, it's all atmosphere. It's all, that's what I really loved about the movie. Was, was anyone like into their third viewing before they figured out what the rap package was? She opened up like before there was like videos and like, I, I remember watching it and I had no idea what that was. I kept pausing it, but you know, it was on an old television and it it's it shot yeah. in an old camera to begin with, and it took me I don't know how well, many years really to figure out. And, yeah, yeah. There's like five of us in the room because I remember when we were pausing it. We're like, what the fuck is that? Like, what like, is I, that? I thought it was like a rat at first, or like a weird thing, and then I don't know when we came upon that it was teeth. We kept getting like right up to the television. I'm like, I, are those viscera? Is that what is what is that? Because her right. And and this like, is, like is a, it a severed finger? Like what is this? Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then yeah. And it's a testament so to Heather, funny. too, because, you know, you you don't know what it is based off of her reaction, because if it was Visser, one of my first inclinations was it can't be because her response to it was to just, OK, I'm just not going to deal with this right now. I'm going to set it off to the side and I'm OK. He's OK. We're all OK. And then you realize later on when you actually get like, you know, a, a monitor or something to watch. Like, those are fucking teeth. That's those yeah, are Josh's. Yeah. That's Josh's bloody grill. <laughs> He's. 
He's definitely most likely dead. <laughs> Miss, missing a few. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that also, it, what you're talking, going back to how, um, what a strong character she is. That is such, to me, her, that scene, it's, it's brilliant too, because I'm going to use that word too many times. We were talking about getting a stuck on a word. Brilliant. Cause they didn't want to keep saying it. Just shoot me everybody. Um, but, uh, you know, cause in the, in that moment, I mean, that is terrifying and, you know, she, she's not, she's not screaming. She's not, you know, saying there's not a lot of dialogue, right? It's just, yeah. it's the heavy breathing. It's, it's her, she's emoting it without being able to see her. Right. But you're able to hear and f you can feel like, oh my God, like you can, you can tell she's shaking, you know, yeah. but the fact that she's like, all right, I, I gotta, I gotta keep a shit together because Mike's going to lose it. If I tell him what's happening here is a yeah. really smart move on her, on her, you know, on her part. And it's interesting because we're going back, like how Romy sort of based on her a little bit it's kind of like Romy coming out of a sleep read and going what the fuck was that <laughs> and then she chooses at the moment to not quite quite reveal all of it to Isaiah right away you know one she's analyzing it but two you know don't need to always talk about everything because when you know who you're with and it's just it's a good judgment call right yeah and so yeah but that's that scene was because he's just like oh everything's good I'm good everything's good let's go okay let's keep going keep going and he's just like all right, all right. and I was just like if I, if I were him I would have been like like, no, what the hell yeah, was what in did that you thing? See? Yeah, what was in that thing? So, yeah, that was such if, a... If for no reason to tell the people at home what, it, in fact, it was so that yeah. we knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just some white, white bloody stuff in there. Yeah. I don't understand why, why people got on her shit so much, but they, no one, like, Mike is funny because he's such a fuck, he's just such a douche, but, like, <laughs> no one gets on him because at first he acts all holier than thou about the map and acts like she's the one to blame for the map. And then you find out he's the one who fucked up. With the yeah, map and which is in. massive, and and that yeah. scene kind of slides through real quickly too. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> "I trashed the map," and then although, it, but then you're like, "Wait, what? What did you do? What, dude?" It's like, yeah, that's a crazy little scene, and, and that's uh, and that's such a great scene for Heather too because you can read what's going on. It's like she yeah. has taken the full burden of the responsibility for that map the whole time they've been on top of her, and finally she knows that she didn't do anything with the map he kicked it into the into the stream yep. so she flips out and just goes after him because it's almost like venting for her it's not that she's yeah. so much that she's angry about what he did it's more like now i'm vindicated i didn't do what i was accused of and now i'm pissed off which kind of brings me to another thing while she did go after mike she doesn't really fall prey to what Josh falls prey to, which is something that happens a lot in these kinds of situations is when, you know, the group eats itself. He just starts mocking her and what she's been trying to do the whole time, document things, stay on top of things. And it's just totally counterproductive, you know, for her to, for him to do that. And it just kind of goes to show that all she keeps trying to do is keep the two of them in line. Like you need yeah. to stop attacking me and each other and we need to focus on getting through this because if we don't, we're witch food. And that's all there yep. is to it at this point. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's just funny to watch them because she's always getting between whatever problem is coming up and she just has to dissolve it. And it's like the people at home, one, I have to imagine that's just an incredibly hard thing to do when one thing that, uh, I don't know if you mentioned this when you talked about the, the, the movie is maybe people don't know this is that they didn't, they didn't have a script, right? No. They, they were given like notes every now and then they would find notes that the producers made and it would just kind of provide a little direction, but I don't think there was anything by way of written lines. It was kind of like, 
just do this today. Try to do this and see how it comes out. And for those scenes to have come out yeah. as organically as they did really speaks to the kinds of, of, of chops that they must have had going into this because it was just, it was authentic. Like yeah. you could feel Heather's relief at just being able to unload on Mike. And you could feel Josh just coming apart and you could feel Mike just kind of like, I just want to go home and watch baseball. Exactly. And here right. I am in these goddamn woods. Yep. Well, interesting backstory on that. Cause like I said, I've, I've I read all kinds of geeky articles about this thing and you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, that was their thing so that they basically, they spent about 60, 60,000, it's depending on what article 34,000 or 60,000 um, yeah. dollars to make this thing. And I think it made 2.48 million or some insane amount of money like that. But um, yeah, what they did is, is they, um, they set up GPS coordinates for these guys and said, go there. And when they got there, there'd be like a flag or a milk crate or something to tell them this is where they needed to like set down their stuff. Yeah. And there'd be, there'd be notes for each one of them. And it would just say, you know, uh, like one of them said, um, you, for Heather, it was like, uh, you need to insist that they head south, don't take no for an answer. And that's, that's the only direction they got. And she's like, okay. And that's it, all of that, everything else was improv. And that's, that's, mind-blowing to me because yeah. the dialogue's real it's very natural and it's very it's it's it works you know it, it doesn't sound like i mean if i was doing it, it'd be like <laughs> it'd be a really bad movie you know um but i think that's just the coolest part that they had no idea and then the, they, they said too they played the tricks on them at night like when they were in the tent they didn't know that the guys were going to be out there dropping rocks and making that 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 part yeah can we talk about that the very first night when you're just like what the hell was that what the hell was that you hear just the, the rocks dropping out of nowhere and it just, they get louder and louder and i'm like that to me just i remember just like i stopped breathing at that point in the movie i was like what is happening yeah <laughs> yeah and yeah. and they're and they're freaking out about it and yet again heather's like well we got to get this on dad we got to get this on Kim. we got to go out there I'm like, well, i don't i don't see i don't hear anything i don't hear anything man you cannot hear that. It's obviously out there. And so finally she gets out there, but there's, there's one part in the movie that is probably the most like explicitly terrifying when you actually see something happen, because for the most part, there isn't anything visible by way of the, the monster, the witch or anything. You don't actually see anything of her at all, but for this one part, uh, which is, I think, I don't think it's arguably the scariest, but I think it is probably like the scariest scene anyway, in terms of what happens, they're all in this tent and they hear children outside, like little children playing now, you know, for proper foundation, they're in the middle of nowhere uh -huh. and they don't even know how to get back. And here they are in this tent and they hear children playing outside the tent. And of course they all get rod rigid and looking around like what the hell's going on out there. And then all of a sudden these little teeny weeny hands start pressing in on the tent and just kind of like going crazy and they just lose their shit, get up and run. And there's just an incredible scene because they're, they're holding their cameras while they're running and they make a good, they make a good uh, rationale for it too. Like a lot of found film uh, attempts out there, they have to come up with some weird reason why they would be holding their camera and they do a really good job in this. She's just desperate to get all of this on camera. Yeah. She's 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 a very ambitious film student. She wants something out of this. So she's always got her camera on and they run. And there's just you can feel the genuine fear that yeah. they have. And I'm sure, you know, they, they must have assumed this was planned. But at the same time, when you're woken up in the middle of the night and there's kids running around and, you know, mm -hmm. you can you can feel the terror. It's legitimate. They're scared. 
And it's just an incredible scene and and distinct because it's really the only scene where the the audience actually gets to see a supernatural occurrence. You know, that's that's, you know, they 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 can't get out. They keep running into the same log. That's that's one thing. But this is actually, you know, there's something out there and it's doing something to them that we as the audience get to actually appreciate. And it's just a, a great scene. Yeah, and what I love about <clears throat> that too is because it, it, it blends us to two pieces. There's kind of like two stories in here. There's 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 the witch, there's the witch legend, then there's Russell Parr, yeah. and so Russell Parr, which is the ending in the the house, because Russell Parr was lived up in the mountain in those woods, and children, seven children disappeared um, during a t- the time frame he was there, and and what the legend says he or one of the eyewitnesses in town says that he came down from the mountain and and said to the police officers, um, I like something like I am done or it is finished, and he left, and they were like, oh, maybe we should go check out his place now, and they went up there. <laughs> then that's where they found the bodies of seven children and um and so hearing the kids playing right well first they first they the first thing they come across right is the um those the seven piles of stones i guess that was that graveyard they were talking about which is when josh kicks kicks one of the rocks over which is i'm sure why he's targeted later on is the one that you know disappears but um or i think so mm. but um so it's, it's interesting so, so these little pieces like you can kind of get lost and forget that part of the story because you're just like they're in the woods they're lost what's happening but there's there's this, there's the seven the seven graves right there's the children in the background and then when you get then later when they find the house then there's the handprints on the walls and all that in, in, crazy stuff that's gives me and chills. that's about it <laughs> and to the 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 listeners I, I forgot to mention that um the reason they're in the woods is they're looking for a graveyard yeah um which they've been given not so definitive directions to heather kind of goes in there in the hopes that she can just kind of find it with what seems to be a fairly crude map uh which she may or may not be able to read based on what goes on and they do find the graveyard but they can't get out they don't know or yeah. they they don't know why they can't, but they just kind of reverse course and they, they can't get out. But, you know, it, this is an interesting part of the movie, too. And it definitely figures into a lot of the stuff that I do when I write a story is they had a really rich tapestry of folklore going into it that didn't all line up perfectly. Like you said, there's the witch, um, there's uh, the old man in the house. And then, of course, when they talk to Mary, which is this woman they talked to before <laughs> they they actually go into the woods. And she's kind of funny because she's. She's represented as being, as one of the characters later says, crazy. Um, She's supposed to be like an eyewitness to the witch, like a local who they go to interview because she claims to have had an actual encounter with the witch. And she goes on to talk about how she went down to uh, this creek with her father to go fishing and whatnot. And when she was there as a child, she saw this, what she describes to be this hairy woman floating above the ground. And Throughout the story, they throw these little these little bits of folklore at you, which, much like real folklore, don't necessarily add up or complement each other. They kind of stand aside from one another and invite you into their own respective rabbit hole, but they don't necessarily overlap at any point. And they did a really good job at making the witch. And this is what I meant by my own writing is I like things to be vague. I don't like to wrap mm-hmm. things up with a bow. And you know there's a witch there could be ghosts there could be children's ghosts out there there could be any number of things out there there could be a cult out there and and they've hinted at all of these things respectively but don't necessarily tell you what is happening in fact um 
to give away the end of the movie, like we said, there's spoilers. Um, the guy who like, why can't you just said his name like three times <laughs> and I can't think of it. What, what, uh, one of the, one of the three guys. No, Josh? the, um, the guy in the, 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 went, the guy in the cabin. Who, Russell Parr. <laughs> Russell Parr. Why can't I remember things? I got you. <laughs> I just can't. No memory for names. I don't know why. But he, uh, the, the story goes that he would line them up or he would put one in the corner. One of the kids that he would have abducted, one in the corner. And they would have the other one stand away because he couldn't stand them looking at him as he killed them. And in the end, that's the manner in which the last two, Heather and Mike, are presumably taken out, killed. And yet again, that's in, that's consistent with the man story, not necessarily so consistent with the witch, although he did say he was doing her bidding. Um, but it's just like a hodgepodge. And I think that's true to life. Whenever you get into um, folklore and whenever you get into ghost stories or whatever, um, and I think we mentioned this before, uh, Stephen and I were actually in like a paranormal research team, I guess you want to call it. And what? that's, that's a, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> You didn't know that? I didn't mention that? Yeah, yeah. We we, we went and did uh, a bunch of um, investigations. We actually worked for, I'll do a little shout out, um, if I can remember her name. Sherry Revai. Sherry Revai. She had written a series of books called Haunted New York, and then she did a series of other ones. And we were initially like her her go-to research team. We would go to the places where she was doing a story um, you know, the people involved, I w- we would go in and interview them and get all the relevant facts and then report back to her and take pictures and, and all of that kind of stuff. That's awesome. And um, it was it was fascinating. It was very interesting, but very consistent with with the movie in the sense that you go into these situations and there's not I, I think the connections that people make are fabricated in the sense that there's just a natural organic process of these things kind of melding together over time. But when you actually take a step back and really get into the the granular details of of a story, you find out that there's just a lot of separate things that have kind of gotten associated over the years and stories and and whatnot. And, you know, when I write a story, it's the same thing. I like to throw down a lot of folklore, a lot of legendary myths, and I don't necessarily like to point out which one is any more credible a source for whatever is going on than the next or the other. And it's a, it's a storytelling uh, technique that I've picked up from both Tolkien and Lovecraft. You'll always hear about these other things in the background, like a random uh, snippet of, of folklore from an area um, where the story is situated. But they don't, they don't expand on it at all. It's just mentioned and then dropped. And I think, you know, the human mind has a tendency to expand the scale and the scope of the story to encompass these other things in a way that makes the setting more realistic and go off like a real folk tale. And that's what they did here. And it was, and they, and they did it to just fantastic effect. Yeah. There was, um, there was, there was also a part that I, I remember, remember the two guys fishing? Yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it was, no, the guy's like, ah, oh, that's bullshit. <laughs> the guy's like, it's real. <laughs> and I wasn't yeah. drinking that day either. Oh, you were probably <laughs> drinking. <laughs> Yep. That was a good scene. He's like, I saw this Mr. Thing that uh, came up over the hill and went up into those trees. Well, you were drinking that day. And I, wasn't and, drinking. <laughs> yeah. and, and I have to wonder, were those actors? Because they were very authentically, you know, the kinds of people you would expect fishing some old creek in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> well, that, that's the big question, right? Because it's yeah. like, I, 
they must yeah was that improvised as well like i mean yeah. like how, how much of yeah who who had lines that's what i want to know like where was this how much script was actually there so well, yeah you know the, the other thing is too is there must be like a wealth of just excuse me cuts that didn't make the movie i mean there has to be oh, they're just sure. wandering around i would just love to know where all that went like do they just throw it out or i mean there's a huge cult following of which i'm probably a part of yeah. You know, that would just yeah. eat that up. It's like 25 hours of our three people just <laughs> wandering around just trying crunch, to crunch, 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 crunch. <laughs> I'm in, man. I'm in. <laughs> I'd watch it. I got no problem with that. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing I know we're, we're jumping around like beginning, middle end, whatever. But at the, at the end of the, the film and, and this I actually <laughs> actually laid in bed and thought about it for a while last night. I'm weird. But um, I in the, it, for the film the filming aspect of it and how brilliant i thought brilliant i thought this was too how how great it was um when they're in the house and and you know mike at the very end they find he's like i found a house and they, you, you realize oh my god it's russell parr's place and you see the the handprints on the walls and but, but they, they're kind of separated right she's like screaming where are you and he's like i'm in the house come on yeah. and they they start to run upstairs because they they start to hear josh yelling from somewhere inside the house and they're like where are you man and they're run 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 and so um because mike had the dat right the dat's what records the yeah. sound is that what the sound answer? yeah i think so say the wrong thing he has the dat and so like you know his audio is real clear and then you but you hear her off in the distance because she's clearly not up near him right yeah but that scene at the end where like they think they, they get they find each other they're, they're moving around and all of a sudden he hears he's in the basement he's in the basement and he runs and it's really chaotic and you're following him down and you hear him running and you hear her screaming but she's so far away right and you know he's now down this basement you're like this is not good this is not good but you hear her she's wow upstairs and it's i it's it's so it's to me i just got chicken skin thinking about it it's like it's just that sound of this terror from so far away way it's being picked up by his recorder and you hear her getting closer it's just as they converge and then there she finds him in the corner and then she's out too right and i but the way that was filmed the way that was done is just so i'm sure it was by accident (laughs) you know clearly they weren't like we're gonna do it this way but just the effect of that made it even more terrifying to me because she sounded so isolated and you knew something really bad was going down and it just uh, such a neat scene. Love. I love the, and the ending of that film is perfection. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you know, it, it's, it's interesting too, because in a normal movie, I say normal, but in a traditional movie, um, you wouldn't get that fast action. They'd freeze on something. They'd stop. They'd focus. You know, they're just, it just, they'd slow that scene down. And, and, and as a direct result, you wouldn't get that kind of feverish, desperate quality that I think comes through so well in that scene because modern filmmakers about, um, I don't, I'm not a filmmaker, but I, I watch them. Um, you know, there, there's always about framing the shot and, and making yeah. it almost very artistic. And, and here it's just not, it's a blur. They're just running and yeah. it's adrenaline and it's fear and it's terror. And like you said, you're getting the, the other person's reaction through the person who's got the microphone closest to them. And so you're only getting like an echo of it. Yeah. Um, I just realized that my my thing isn't plugged in here. One one second, I'm I'm gonna let you go, and then I'm gonna power up my computer. <laughs> no, <laughs> you should you should do that. Yeah. The uh, something just occurred to me. You know, they they um, I saw the movie you know years ago when it first came out, and thought it was really good. I'm certainly I don't have the the depth of understanding you guys do, but 
Um, hearing you guys talk, it reminded me because it really kind of established like the found footage genre, right? Yep. And there was a much more recent film in that uh, Cloverfield series. Oh, I oh, love yeah. those. Too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and one of them, I forget which one, but the one where he's he's holding the camera the entire time. And it's the similar found, not found footage, but actual whatever, just regular person footage where it's just handheld cam and stuff. And that's the way the movie was shot. And I remember, I don't know if it's a generational thing, because there's like, I don't know, 15 years separating those movies, or if it is something to do with the fact that that handheld shaky cam look was scripted in and the Cloverfield was much more of a scripted movie compared to, but I recall reading, and this is just anecdotal, but I recall reading a lot of people just really not liking that. Like, you know, there there was the typical criticism that any movie gets really for any number of reasons, wide variety of reasons. And uh, but I recall seeing time and again that they just didn't like the the shaky cam stuff. And I was like, oh, I thought that was kind of had its own like audience who really enjoyed that. Any well, thoughts I- on the differences between the two was scripting a big part of it? Or was it, is it dependent on the movie maybe? Like it, it just seems like the kind of thing, like it either works, of course, I'm only using two examples, but it seems to be like it either works or it just doesn't. And it's like, there's very little middle ground there. Um, you, you know, I, I think the two different kinds of movies in this sense, and I think why people got hung up on uh, Cloverfield was because Cloverfield is kind of like a kaiju movie. You know, it's a giant monster. And those movies are all about spectacle, in my opinion. Like when you watch Godzilla versus King Kong. Or Pacific Rim. Or Pacific Rim. You know, the biggest criticism you generally get from the audience, the hardcore, you know, the fan base is we don't care about people. We want to see the monsters. And in a movie like Cloverfield, they tried to create a narrative that was more about the people than the monster. And I think that was kind of... Maybe they did it right or maybe they did it wrong. I'm not going to say one way or the other, but I think that with a lot of the kaiju fans coming at it, they're like, I just want to see the goddamn monster. And you keep moving the camera every time we're about to see the monster. And because of the special effects and because of what they knew the monster could potentially look like, you know, very realistic and with the kind of budget that they probably had going into it, people really wanted to see kaiju devastation from a more personalized standpoint. From, from the shaky cam, or at least a camera that wasn't high quality and it wasn't cinematically produced. From and the so ground, you, like that yeah. kind of damage from, from the human perspective, and it just didn't work. And, and I think it was just a, a, the big, a greater level of dissatisfaction when you look at the kaiju movies that, that did do well. You know, the first Godzilla, or the first successful Godzilla, I should say, with regards to the remake, um, the big criticism was he's just not on screen enough. We didn't see him enough. And it was too much about the human characters and not, a, not as much about the monster. And Cloverfield advertised itself, unfortunately, as a monster movie. And with this big CGI monster that everybody wanted to see. For my part, 
I'm fine. I like the movie. I was fine with the monster coming in and out. My only real concern, my only real criticism, I should say, was it was too shaky. I was like getting dizzy at some point. <laughs> it was just like, I can't keep up with the camera. Um, I was okay with not seeing the monster that much. I, I mean, I was, I was fine with the story at the level of the people because they were addressing it in a different way than the Kaiju movie usually does, which is the people generally can get away. They're usually watching from a distance. You know, the Kaiju is usually a, a threat to a country. You know, uh, parenthetically, obviously people too, but they're not really in harm's way most of the time. They're like from a cliff watching them fight Jet Jaguar or something like that. Right. Um, but it was interesting to put people on the level of, or they're directly threatened by the Kaiju and they can't really get out of its way. Which and it's almost, it's almost like in Cloverfield, they treated the Kaiju like you would a, um, a horror movie monster or mm-hmm. a horror movie villain where it's like, tease it, tease it, tease it. Yeah. And then toward the end, have the big reveal and give the audience a good look at what's going on. And it's like with Kaiju, that kind of, it's almost counterintuitive to do that. That's, that's why, you know, the audience is there. They want to see right. the monster. Yeah, Cloverfield worked for me on just because it was that I love I love a good disaster flick. I'm just like, you know, earthquakes and fire, you know, was that the um, Towering Inferno, like all those. All, I love those yeah. films because I, I just love I mean, I guess the only child in me. I, I grew up having to entertain myself and. I wasn't setting fires, so don't worry about that. But, um, you know, I like, that was a weird connection. So let me clear that up. But, um, you know, as, as an only child, I was, I, was hang, I was telling you guys, I used to hang out in the backyard like, I'm a horse today. You know, what weird stuff. I was a weird kid. But, <laughs> but for me, it's like I was always – it's true. I'm, <laughs> we'll go to that. That's another podcast. But, um, you know, for me, it's like I, the thing I love, I love a movie that puts me in that moment and I'm like, what would I do? How would I handle this? You know, and it's like, it's like playing, um, <laughs> I'm gonna let so much weird nerdness out. So I, I'm, I'm like a Skyrim junkie and um, World, World of Warcraft, all that kind of stuff. And so sometimes I'm out in the trails, like riding my bike, or if I'm walking and I'm like, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm my elven, uh, whatever. And I'm, 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 I'm journeying to whatever. What would I do right now? What, what weapon would I use if something were coming out of that bush over there? Like this crap is in my head all the time. I, I'm like, thank God nobody hears any of this because it's weird stuff. But so I think <laughs> you're all <laughs> laughing at me. No, but I think Clo- Cloverfield was so cool to me because one, um, I was in New York city all the time. And so it's like, it was just kind of interesting to be like, what the hell would I do if I was like down having brunch at Sarah Beth's in Soho and suddenly like, Oh shit. You're like, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> and then th- that whole scene when they're 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 like the subways, the subways and they're navigating the subways made my flesh crawl. Cause I was just like, this is just horrifying on so many levels. Like I, it's so dark and so creepy. And I think it was that part of it. Now the monster to me was secondary. I, if I never saw it, I probably would have been still been very, very satisfied with that film. Um, but the fact that they, it arrived when it did and you got what you got was enough for me because for me, it was that, that, journey of like what the hell would i do it's like the walking dead right i'm always like what What would you do yeah Yeah. i drive by things i'm like that that warehouse that'd be a really good place that's what that's where we would go we have to get the whole bottom floor we could secure like that it's constantly in my head i'm a weird person (laughs) well they did a good job too of of making it so you couldn't feel like i think a lot of people including myself because you know 
I'm like, why the fuck do they just stay still or just stay in that one place? Well, then they introduced the little bugs and then you yeah. realize that they couldn't. There was a threat. Like if you were to just kind of hold up, you could just as easily find yourself bitten by one of those. That's what I liked about Cloverfield was it gave like there's a different threat and it makes yeah. sense on something that big. You know, sharks and whales, they have the little um the pilot fish or whatever you call them that swim under yep. them it's it's like a symbiotic relationship and here's this giant monster and oh it makes sense it would have ticks that are the size of a volkswagen yeah. or uh-huh. m- my memory is a little shaky there but i remember the whole parasite thing or whatever they were and it's like that's a great i like that angle it's more than just the giant monster yeah it's and, like, and, you know, interesting it had a lot of layers to it that were really well done so yeah yeah. And, and I have to wonder how much DNA they they brought into, and I can't remember this guy's name either. The guy was always holding the camera. Yeah, can't think of remember. it. <laughs> it's like he he was the movie's Mike. Like Mike never had the camera in Blair Witch Project, but this guy was kind of like Mike had the camera. And I just kind of wondered, did they? Is that what their intention was? Was that like their shot at Mike? Like we got to make a Mike character because you just gotta have one. Because he, he just, that's who he reminded me of throughout the whole thing. He just well, he kept looked, having this like, like um, yeah, it sounded like, yeah. you know, it was like the sim- similar stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that um, talking about, you know, interesting cinematography or filmography or whatever it is, is um, it reminds me of the 2000 Battlestar Galactica series and what they did with uh, space battles. And I just love that the shaky cam and then it would zoom in like it's really a guy, uh, a camera person looking out the window, like trying to get footage of this crazy battle and zooming in on the little Viper ship as it, you know, does a 180 and then shoots off that way. And it's like, I remember watching these being like, why hasn't this been done with every space movie ever? This is perfect. And it's more than just, and a big part of it is, um, they used actual space physics with the turning of the ships and the 360 degree view, as opposed to star Wars, which treats spaceships like planes that where there's mm-hmm. air resistance and they can, you know, curve. And that's not really how it works out there. And I, I um, think I just remember seeing that. And since I haven't seen a ton of sci-fi movies with space battles, but it's like, why aren't we seeing that all over the place? Because it, for some reason, and I've heard this sentiment reflected online, it's so satisfying the way that is shot. And it, it captures the scale, but it captures the individual ship. And it's just such a cool look. I love that. I, I always get into those films because as we're podcasting now, and one of the things that I really like to do in the podcast is to kind of bring out more of the scene via sound because obviously there's no visuals and when i see things like that um i'm always trying to get steven to try and to to tease out some kind of like audio vignette or something because i really like to broaden the scope and the scale of, of what we're doing to encompass all kinds of things and you know to 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 geek out as well you know my my background you know i did a lot of gaming did a lot of gaming and um, (laughs) I always wanted to introduce like is as rich a sense of the world as I could. And, and obviously, you know, you're role-playing, you're not, everything's got to be done uh, spoken word. And 
granted, you know, when, when laptops came into being, and I, yeah, I just dated myself for that. There was a time I was gaming and we did not have laptops or anything resembling them. And uh, when they, you know, it was great because we had visuals for the first time. I turned my laptop around like, okay, here's a thing that you're, you know, you're engaged with. But, you know, you're always trying to do something sonically. You know, you have to be able to speak the scene out. You have to be able to sound it out with music. And as visual media progresses, I think audio media tries to do the same thing. At least I, I, I think that that's what we're always shooting for is to try and when we now it's a thing now it's like uh people post it all the time like uh, I, I listen to um uh, a lot of these drone uh, atmospheric music on youtube by like apocryphos and uh cryo chamber and all these things but like now they they put out this stuff for gaming specifically when i remember when we were gaming when we first introduced music to it to yeah. add the atmosphere to it but it like it was, it was all like character sheets and we had the dice and 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 that, and that's you know you're you're really just adding texture and an environment and and I think that with a, a podcast and what we're always trying to shoot for is to just broaden as much of the scene and texture the scene as much as we can with sound and the challenge has always been you know how do we draw out drama because I was just complaining to Stephen exactly yesterday we we were on we were on a call and I was like what pisses me off is you know I can't get this. I want this drama, but we, you know, I'm constantly having to just write dialogue. And so it's hard to get like this sonic musical vignette, if you want to call it, when we're always talking. And I'm like, I just don't know how to do that. Like, how do we do that? Like in a movie where there's just this nice, expansive kind of white noise-ish scene and breathy uh, 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 dialogue or something like that. I'm like, how do we do that and make it compelling and make it worth the listener's time rather than just kind of like, I don't know what they're trying to do here. There's nobody, nobody's talking, <laughs> you know, what, right. what is this? Yeah. And it's like in some movies, a lot of movies, they, they do it so well with the sound design is like, you're listening to obviously with action scenes, that's a, that's a pretty um, obvious example, but like even to get closer to, to podcasting would be like a tense conversation. And yeah. like, especially say it's near the emotional climax of the movie and there's um, a secret that, you know, the, the audience knows and they know it's about to be revealed in this conversation and it's going to change everything between the characters and it's going to change the story itself. And it's an incredibly intense moment and the conversation builds, whether it's, you know, a minute or a five minute long dialogue. And for me, because I'm not an audiophile, I don't um, specialize in that. And I haven't spent a lot of time focused on that aspect of creative work, but as a lay person, once that scene is over, um, a lot of times I'll be like, that music I was totally ignoring really added to the tension in, yeah. in ways I wasn't even aware of in the moment. And it's times like that where I, I can appreciate sound design and the technical aspects of how to go about doing it properly to convey emotion and stuff like that. And it's all you know, very much out of my wheelhouse, but it is uh, fascinating nonetheless. And I think that's a, a large part of um, podcasting is finding 
that type of sound design to match whatever's going on to accentuate the emotion that's taking place uh, during the episode. I don't know. And it, yeah, I think it's also, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. It's especially important in horror, I think. I mean, I pick up most the sound the soundscape mostly in horror movies like because it's so i I would almost argue it's more important than the visuals um just because the the you know just adds to the atmosphere the intensity of the moment um just you know i I really do think the the, not the soundtrack but the the actual sounds and whatnot and especially in a horror production is you know Super. And that and that and that kind of brings us to another topic. I know Kelly is is very fond of and, and is very near and dear to my heart, which is when you're when you're talking about like the sound eclipsing the visuals, you know, and moving from movies to video games. I don't think it gets any better than like Silent Hill. Like when when I started podcasting, you know, talking about influences. Whenever I think about a haunted town, a haunted room a haunted place a strange forest i mean it's like the silent hill model has become like an archetype it's not just like one of a million things it's like the foundational concept Mm -hmm. that forms everything else around it or influences everything else around it can i be the party pooper and say this is an excellent place to (laughs) leave (laughs) off this episode and we'll pick up next episode with silent hill video games all that kind of stuff And there's um, another video game I want to be sure to mention, and that's Hunt Showdown, uh, because Mark was talking about when he envisions his ideal, um, my ideal visual of the general world of Maltopia is this video game Hunt Showdown. It's so cool. But anyway, we'll get there. So we're going to leave it there. Uh, We are still taking questions. We're recording another episode very soon, but then Kelly is um, a bit of a travel bug and she's going to be out and about. And we really want to uh, incorporate her and have her involved in as many of these as possible. So around the 12th or so, um, we're going to record the last episode of Sleep Talking before premiering uh, episode one of season two of uh, the sleep-wake cycle around May 26th. But we're we're positioning it so that we still have, despite Kelly's absence, we still have a weekly episode every Thursday like you're used to. And so I wanted to say uh, we're still taking questions. Um, If you have anything or even comments or suggestions on things to talk about for our final episode. Um, you can get a hold of us on our Discord, uh, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, you can join our Patreon and uh, leave us questions and comments there. You can find Kelly at, at KBear. Uh, 71. <laughs> at KBear71. Uh, K-B-A-I-R. Uh, so visit her over there give her a follow, all of that good stuff. And any final parting words before we go? Awesome. All right, everybody. (laughs) We're we're not allowed. (laughs) The curtain has fallen. We're done. (laughs) The the cast already left. They're at the after party. Okay. Um, 
All right, that will do it for us. Thanks very much to everyone. Thanks very much to our patrons for their support. And we'll see you in the next one. Thanks, Bye. everyone. Bye-bye. Later. Bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.